Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx Maps. Yeah, you did hear that correctly. So, got some big news here. Onyx Maps, Onyx Hunt app. They are now the the title sponsor partner of the podcast here. So, that's been really exciting. Onyx has been a company that I've been using their GPS cards since I don't know, it was around 2011-12, somewhere in that range. And then fully switched over to the app here a couple years ago. Um, still use the cards as well, but mostly the app has been my you know ticket. So I'm extremely excited to work with Onyx. I mean, if if you've been following along with any of my stuff or listening to the episodes, I mean, I use Onyx for just about everything that I do. And if any of you are planning hunts in different places or even trying to get to know your own little 40-acre property, you're probably using Onyx or should be to be able to you know, plan out these hunts and, and mark waypoints and everything else that goes along with it. Onyx is just, like I said, something that, that kind of fit the bill for me. Being able to offer up mapping systems from your computer to a handheld GPS to your phone and I can go online, scout all the way across the United States in the West, find spots, mark those waypoints. And by the time I log into my phone, those waypoints have already transferred from the computer to my phone. And it's great because then I go out in the field. I'll download the maps ahead of time when I have cell coverage or Wi-Fi. And I can turn off, turn my phone on airplane mode and use it without cell signal whatsoever. It'll still track me. GPS uh, location services still work. And it's just helped out a lot. I just, I'm able to carry a little battery pack in the field with me to charge my phone with needed. I mean, my phone's something that I have on me all the time anyways. So might as well double that as a, a GPS. So really excited to have Onyx partner with it. So I would highly suggest if you haven't already, go check out onyxmaps.com and see what they have to offer. And so with that, what, what you're going to get out of that or what you're going to hear is I'm going to be going through every episode a kind of a different way of how I'm using Onyx and some different little tips and strategies and things like that to use with it so be looking forward to that as well as i'm about to release some new apparel it's in the works uh just got the order going through now and i'm going to be doing some giveaways with onyx with that for people that are some of the first ones to purchase this new apparel so be on the lookout for an email on Instagram, Facebook, and on the podcast here when I announce that's going to be beginning. So definitely uh, be ready for that. And also, the University of Elk Hunting, they, Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most comprehensive course for elk hunting that's available out there anywhere, to be honest. I mean, whether you're an elite elk hunter or you're brand new to it it has something for you to offer and i I did want to say you know thanks to everyone who has got to check it out and has given me the feedback had a lot of people say how good how much they've liked the course and how thorough it is i mean if there's ever a question you had i'm sure that course answers it and if not feel free to reach out to myself or Corey to be able to get that so Corey's offering 20 percent off of the University of Elk Hunting by using the code East Meets West at checkout. And that's, that'll save you 20 bucks on the annual membership there with opportunities to win a ton of gear get and get some discounts with partners of Elk 101 and from the Elk 101 store. So definitely check that out. Also, Maven Optics. So Maven has created the highest quality optics that are available 
at a price that's half of their competitors and kind of how they're doing that is through their direct consumer business model. So instead of going to these big box stores like Cabela's and Bass Pro and things like that, they're just selling directly to you online or at trade shows. And their reason for that, besides the big price break, is being able to interact with the customers directly. They're a small company. They stand behind their products, and they want to be able to do that you know, for the long haul. So check out Maven Optics at mavenbuilt.com. Use the code EastMeetsWest-GIFT at checkout to get yourself a free gift with any full-price optics order. All right, so... Just to give a little update here, recently, or actually this past weekend, I went snake hunting with a few buddies of mine, um, some college friends and friends from home, and we went for an overnight snake hunting trip. So yes, hunting rattlesnakes in the Pennsylvania wilds region here. So got to go out, went out, left Saturday morning, went out, hunted all day had a absolute epic trip like the weather was perfect with with snakes it's it's kind of temperamental as far as how the weather is is depending on you know what kind of success you're going to find we had some hot sunny days the snakes were out on the rocks um or right around the the rocks and the openings collecting that sunlight from the cool night that we had before so it was perfect we ended up catching 18 snakes the first day only one legal one that we were able to keep so what a legal snake is it has to be 42 inches or longer and a male so how you determine whether it's a male or female is you count their subcaudal scales so from their vent or basically their asshole to the rattles you have to count at least 21 or more subcaudal scales that'll determine if it's a male or not so we were finding females that were at length, but they were females, so we let them go uh, unharmed. And then we did get one male. It was a 48-inch male. We kept it. Uh, Lee Ziegler, a buddy of mine, he caught it and was so pumped. Those guys had never been snake hunting before, so I took them out. And he caught that. We ended up killing the snake and eating it that night. So we cooked it up on the grill cut it up and we did we cooked it in a couple different ways one we um we seasoned it with a little bit of uh this seasoning called beast modes uh seasoning or feast mode excuse me seasonings and this tensky whiskey flavor so good covered that with it and then wrapped it with some pieces of bacon and did that but also wanted to get try it out without you know, having it wrapped in bacon because obviously bacon makes everything taste good. So we we only had a small pan. So we cut up some pieces and sauteed it in butter, added some seasoning to it. And that was also really good. With the snake, the kind of describe of what it tastes like. It's, you know, everything, everybody says everything tastes like chicken. And this is really no exception. It's But it's kind of like a rubbery chicken but it has the consistency of a fish. There's a ton of bones in it and you kind of got to, you know, pick around the bones. Just, we were just picking it up with our hands, biting off it, getting all of it, getting in between the joints, getting all the meat out. And it was so good. It sounds, I'm sure some people are cringing right now, but it was, it was, it was really good. And so we had that and shared that over a few bush lattes and, had a good night at camp, set up, had a fire, you know, everything going on. I slept in the the James Brood tent there at night. And this whole experience, uh, one of the guys who I went with, Dave Church, he has been a buddy of mine for a long time. And he has a YouTube channel called Noble Savage Outdoors. And so he filmed the whole thing to put up on his YouTube channel, which should be coming out, I believe, this Sunday. So if you're listening, I believe that's July 7th, somewhere around there, 6th, 7th. And he's going to be releasing that video. I'll put up some links and stuff to that. It's going to be epic. I'm going to have Dave come on the podcast, talk. He's got some really cool videos and just kind of talk about the snake hunting experience and some, you know, finding adventure kind of in your backyard type of thing. Uh, He's from Northwestern Pennsylvania. 
does a lot of trapping, a lot of DIY stuff, building things, and just some really cool content that's you know different than other places you're seeing on YouTube. So I'm I'm glad that he wanted to capture this whole thing and and share that. And if you're listening to this the day it comes out, so that'll be what July second. Then I'll be updating my Instagram story with all the entire snake hunt and have it shown going through some cell phone videos, some uh, pictures I took on my DSLR and everything else. I'll save that to my timeline or my profile so you can view that later too. But that's where I'm going to you know, put most of that up. And throughout my Instagram, Facebook feeds this week, I'll be sharing some photos, kind of telling the story of the trip. So be be sure to check that out. And so after the first night, we woke up the next morning. We weren't really planning on hunting because everyone had long drives back. But it was such a beautiful morning. We went out and ended up catching two more snakes that uh, weren't of legal limit. So we let them go and searched a little bit more and didn't find didn't find any more snakes. And but twenty snakes in a day and a half of hunting, man, that's. I've I've never had a day like that. So it was it was a really cool experience and the biggest thing for me was being able to show these guys you know so, Riley who went along he's you know he was scared to death of snakes going into it for I mean for somewhat of a good reason but I after he left you know he wasn't as fearful of them and all those guys I think had more respect for the for those creatures even though you know I'm not saying they didn't to begin with but when you hunt them like that and get to handle them and capture them it just makes it that much that much better like you just respect them that much more and it's it's really fun i mean i to be honest i don't care if i really kill another snake uh i'd, I'd like to to get one more but i just like going out so the tags became over the counter this year just need a fishing license. You can go purchase a tag. So we did that, and man, it was it was a really cool experience. And talk about you know defining adventure because that's just something that's so different and and not really thought about. But you can really fill up your summer months and and you know even go to some of the areas that maybe you're deer hunting or just go to places you may not normally go to and get to experience it and see these kind of wild places that you know, we have to offer here in the United States and on our public lands. So definitely said, look for that content coming out here. And today on the podcast, I have Alex Comstock coming on. So Alex, he is the founder and the brains and work behind Whitetail DNA. The guy, Alex, he's just, he's an awesome writer, super good writer and puts out some good content some video content on youtube so definitely it's well worth the listen i wanted to get him on to talk about his experiences hunting some different places what do we what there's to offer in minnesota north dakota and nebraska uh specifically so definitely check this out and let me know what you think of the podcast and and everything else give some feedback if you would go over to itunes or wherever you listen to Give a rating and review. That stuff helps out a ton. So really appreciate that. And all right, without further ado, let's jump into this podcast with Alex Comstock. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. Uh, we're sitting here on the show floor at the ATA show, kind of getting some you know weird looks as people walking around as we're sitting here with the headsets on. Uh, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Alex Comstock. Did I pronounce your last name right? Comstock? Yeah. All yep. right. Comstock, yeah. Good. So what's up, buddy? Not a lot. Trying to survive the, the ATA show here as we're kind of wrapping up. Yeah. Last day. I'm heading out after this, and you still got the rest of the day here yet, yeah. right? I'm not leaving out until tomorrow morning, so it's still still a little bit left for me. but Yeah, still grinding away, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so Alex, you're here... Um, you're, you have a company, Whitetail DNA, yep. and and so what what I guess is your purpose to come to the ATA show? Just talk to people like me and everybody else. Or yeah, what? <laughs> I actually came just to see you. So that's what I, I figured. You know, figure we could record this podcast. I hope we're going to do it on day one, and then I'd leave. But you know, <laughs> I, I had to keep you waiting, buddy. Yeah, I figured. 
Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just, it's a great event to come, you know, just network and really talk to people and, you know, trade shows can get a bad rap sometimes I feel like, but at the end of the day, it's good to come and, you know, see everybody that a lot of people you only see once a year and, you know, pretty much just hang out and talk. And then obviously you have the networking side where you have to talk with, you know, companies and whatnot, but yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good time. Cool. So uh, do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from and, and what you're doing with Whitetail DNA? Yeah, so I'm I'm from northern Minnesota, and uh, that's where I was, um, you know, I grew up and everything, and and then uh, learned to hunt, and then I started Whitetail DNA. Um, it's been a couple of years now, but started that just as a blog, and I was just trying to get, you know, a bunch of written content out there, and then as that's kind of evolved, I've, you know, started filming all my hunts and have, like, a YouTube channel and try to do a lot of video stuff, so just trying to get a lot of online content out there pretty much, and trying to grow that so yeah from a white tail side of things yeah yep all yeah so it's well it's in the name white tail dna so i yeah. kind of handicap myself there if i ever want to venture <laughs> out but <laughs> for now it's, it's everything white tails no so. it's all about the niche man yeah and i think you got it there really good blog content and stuff and and you've uh been nice enough to allow me to have what the the mountain buck yeah we Q&A. did that q a in the, in the fall that was a good one yeah, I have a link to that up on uh, the website, on my website, uh, just a link to go over to yours yeah. um, from that. So if anybody wants to, to check that out and all of Alex's uh, content up there, like I said, from a whitetail side of things, you're consistent with putting out, um, you know, information as well as then from the video side of things with your vlog now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's fun. It's yeah. fun to do. And when you're, when you're that passionate about something, you know, as you obviously well know, doing all this stuff, it's. It's a fun time. Yeah. No, it, it, it definitely is. It's, uh, you lose a lot of sleep, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, I don't, I don't think people sometimes realize how much, how much time you're spending, you know, behind a computer, either writing or editing videos or in your case, editing audio for the podcast. But yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's yeah. hopefully worth it in the end. Yeah, definitely. It will be right. And, uh, yeah, you can't fail if you, if you don't quit. So yeah, that's, that's for sure. But, um, anyways, Alex, so one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast here and everything is you're hunting um, some different areas for whitetails than than most are thinking of. I mean, Minnesota's you know has a name for big whitetails, and yeah. Also, you're hunting in North Dakota quite a bit. Or yep. Did you live over there? Yeah. So I actually went out to college, North Dakota, and when I was going to college out there is where I started hunting out there, and then I uh, moved back to Minnesota. It's been a little over a year now, but I still hunt North Dakota heavily and put as just much time out there as I do really in my home state now. So okay, so what is what's it like in say North Dakota, Minnesota, or am I comparing apples and oranges there? Are they two kind of completely different states. Yeah, they're they're pretty different. Um, so like where I'm hunting in Minnesota, it's all heavy hardwoods. You know, ag is there is none because I'm in the very northeast corner, pretty much of Minnesota. Okay. Um, and, and where I'm at in Minnesota, there's a, it's like, it's almost like I'm hunting three different states because in Minnesota, I've got uh, like a suburban hunt that I'm a part of. So it's a city hunt you have to like apply for, go through all these hoops to get in. And then you're hunting behind people's backyards, in people's backyards. You're, you know, where I shot my buck this year, I was 50 yards off a road, 60 yards from a house. I mean, yeah. And then I've also got like big wood stuff that's just, you know, forest forever. And then North Dakota, it's it's pretty open. There's not much there for timber or trees. Um, so when you do find trees, that's kind of usually where I gravitate towards. But, yeah. So it's uh, interesting. So All, definitely yeah. two completely different. Yeah. You know, with, yeah. And, and I always think, you know, the Northwoods as far as being pretty similar across the board. But yeah. that's definitely not the case then. No. So let's uh let's start a little bit. Let's start with Minnesota because you're talking. That's kind of big woods. That's a lot of stuff there. What's uh what's the train itself like as far as like uh, topography and everything? You know where I hunt, there's really not a lot of topography. Okay. Um, there are some you know ridges and you got some ravines and stuff coming through. But like I definitely wouldn't consider myself a a hill country hunter at all. I mean I'm not the best at. You know you stick a topo map in front of me. I, yeah I could kind of I can read it, but I'm not gonna. You know, some people are really good where they can just look at that and be like, well, I think bucks are probably betting here, 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 and here. And I'm not, I got to more get on the ground when I'm doing hill country. Yeah. Um, but it's it's mainly flattish. There's a lot of swamps and stuff like that. And okay. Some of my big wood stuff's like around lakes and 
you're kind of using that type of terrain to try to figure out how these deer are moving through and where they're feeding and stuff like that. So, okay. Yeah. So with, um, how are you figuring it out? So the reason, and I, that's a very, very broad question, but in, so even like in Pennsylvania where I'm hunting big woods, a lot of it is steep, you know, mountainous type country, but there is a lot of areas too that are more what you're speaking of, you know, a lot of swamps, it's still big woods. It just doesn't have a lot of topography. And sometimes I can, I think that's even tougher to hunt. It's a little bit easier from a wind standpoint than hunting the mountains. But, um, as far as bedding, in my opinion, you're not really finding these, like, this is a, uh, you know, buck bedding area, like that they're using the majority of the time. Yeah. Again, that's my experience with it, but can you kind of give a little bit of, uh, your take on that? Yeah. It definitely changes for me from like my suburban to my big wood stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, it's easier in the city because your food sources are, you know, either apple trees or honestly people that are feeding deer, which you kind of figure that out. Um, you know, people aren't supposed to be feeding deer. There's always, whether it be even like bird feeders or stuff like that. Like, yeah. And so like you're trying to figure out there where they get their main food source from and then kind of going from there. Um, and then in the big wood stuff, yeah, it can be super challenging, not only to figure out where like bucks are bedding, but just, where deer are and you know I, th- I focus on things like clear cuts and you know younger um maybe somewhere that had been clear cut a few years ago where you got kind of a younger timber where there's a lot of natural browse and stuff like that yeah and then try to work off that and maybe there's you know a lot of places where bucks will be bedding are in these like cedar swamps or you know um heavy pine trees stuff like that where you at least have a starting point that might not be where you think but then you can go in and and yeah. check where these you know deer are moving through yeah nothing's black and white with that no it's never yeah but that gives you a, a starting point and yeah. so like are you like to find these like say clear cuts or anything are you using any specific like aerial scouting techniques or i mean i spend days on onyx you know <laughs> yeah i mean and I, I i feel like i should probably spend more time on there you yeah. know i mean so i i do a lot with that just trying to you know the spring's big you know last year i feel like i didn't spend a lot of time in the spring actually scouting i spent too much time shed hunting yeah and i come that's a another conversation probably but so spring's really important for me and getting out and finding all these areas after i pick a ton of spots on a map actually i want to dive into that because this is a thing that i've i struggle with on a yearly basis with the balance between shed hunting and and then actually scouting. Right. So, like, I'll give you my perspective first here. So, like, when I go out in the spring, that's my favorite time to do it. And I spend a lot of time scouting. But I get caught up in wanting to find sheds a lot. Yep. That a lot of times the areas you're finding sheds aren't going to be the best places that you're going to be finding to put a tree stand up. Yeah. Or if I'm looking and I'm like, oh, there's a scrape, I might mark it. But I'm like, all right, well, how would I hunt this? you got you yeah. got to think of it from that side of things, too, is, like, trying to pick trees and do all that stuff that's where the spring is a really good time to do that but if you're just solely shed hunting then sometimes i think if you have a limited amount of time then i don't know i think you're kind of doing a little bit of harm for that yeah it's definitely interesting because i feel like a lot of people try to wrap it up in one like all right i'm gonna go head out and go scouting and shed hunting and like you said i mean a lot of those places that deer are spending in the winter time and where they're dropping their antlers isn't where you're going to be hunting them in September, October, November. Mm-hmm. And so I find myself in the same predicament because, I mean, it's easy. Like, I'll set out a day where I'm going, all right, I'll set aside full days, you know, head out, pack a lunch and everything, and be like, this. in the morning I'm going to go here and shed hunt. In the afternoon I'm going to go to this property and scout. And I'll go out and shed hunt, and I might find an antler, and then I'm just like, <laughs> I just want to shed hunt the rest of the day and see how many I can find. And I get into trouble with that all the time because – I've definitely spent way too much time shed hunting opposed to scouting. And if you really want to get on these, these mature bucks consistently, I mean, shed hunting can be good. And I feel like if you maybe own property or have a lot of like private stuff that you can kind of control more than if you're finding this deer shed and maybe it's this core area, but like an instance that I have deer move in large areas from where they're living in the fall to to the winter. So that scouting is pretty important. Yeah, I know with me, uh, personally, there's some, there's some spots where, like, I've found 
deer, like the antlers, um, in the areas where they were in the fall, but most of the time they're not. They could yeah. be miles away, yeah. you know, in the, in the the big woods and you know terrain. They could be. I, I I tend to find a lot of sheds in bottom swampy areas, grassy yeah. openings, stuff like that. That where they're kind of feeding or in clear cuts, things like yeah. that. Where sometimes that's not exactly where they're going to be you know during the hunting season right. so it's uh like you said it's kind of a double-edged sword there, trying to figure out how to spend your time yeah, right and it's all about how much time do you have what kind of pro- and it, what kind of properties do you have it all changes i mean yeah. the one i've got like one piece in north dakota that it's a river bottom spot and deer are in there all year and if i can keep my eyes up and down i can actually shed hunt and scout at the one time that's like the, literally the only piece of property that I can think of where I can do that, mm-hmm. where deer will be in there in, say, January, February, but I'll also be in there hunting in, in the fall. Okay. So, yeah. And, and you're kind of alluding to here that you, uh, so you hunt like a mix of public and private land. Is that kind of your, yeah. what you're doing there? Okay. Yeah. So. And uh, as far as like the, is there any differences, like as far as, well, um, yeah, there is a lot of differences, but as far as. You said from a scouting standpoint, like if you have, say, a track of private land, then you might be able to do both on there where the public, you're doing more of you got to focus on one or the other. Yeah, and it's all about just what kind of control you have. You know, if you can, you know, if you have control of a property in any way where, you know, you can, if you can keep on a buck where he's staying in a, in a core area all year, you know, and then you can find in a sheds might be important to you. But, like, in some of those public spots, I mean, I've got properties that I'll just, I'll shed hunt them, but that's the only time I go in there because I know deer, <clears throat> because I know deer will go in there in the winter and, uh, and that, you know, they won't be in there the rest of the year. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you, if you heard Alex, he, uh, his voice kind of cracked a little bit there. He's, uh, after talking here for three days, losing it a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as, as I am too. Uh, Mine kind of recovered a little bit this morning, actually. You, got, you know, I just, I don't talk a lot in general. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a writer. Yeah. So <laughs> well, I'm always talking. So that kind of helps me with three days up. of straight talking gets to me pretty easy. Yeah. No, I, 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 I got you, man. But, um, yeah. So, uh, as far as, okay. So with Minnesota specifically, is there a lot of opportunities for, you know, out of state? out-of-staters to come in and hunt big chunks of public land or yeah there there is i think a non-resident tag in minnesota is like 180 bucks so i'm not mistaken so it's fairly affordable yeah um but there i mean it depends too what you want because in minnesota there's a lot of public and uh like the southeast part of the state i actually went down there this past fall and hunted um well i went and hunted with the hunting public guys and other i would have never otherwise went down to southeastern minnesota but it's i mean there is some giant pieces of public mm-hmm. and then if you want to try to get the more of the northern hardwoods there's i mean thousands upon thousands upon thousands of acres of just woods forever and if someone's looking for that northwoods challenge i mean yeah because there's some you can get on some real deer that are probably dying of old age out in some of these areas you know that yeah just no one it's like in the middle of nowhere what about from a pr- predation standpoint do you have wolves up there yeah do you it's, that's kind of getting in some areas, it's definitely had an effect, I think. Okay. I mean. On the numbers or age structure, does that, or what I, are you thinking? You know, I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm versing it enough where I haven't paid enough attention because, but it's to the point where there are definitely wolves and I feel like the numbers probably in general, it's had an effect on them because I know a lot of people that really get into the whole wolf thing and. I don't a ton, but I'd say it overall in the numbers where it's okay. The deer population isn't the greatest, you know. Yeah, yeah. As as they seem to never be in like the the big woods settings, you know. Yeah. So like that. I mean, again, where I'm at in Pennsylvania, it's, yeah, it's pretty low numbers, and everyone else is like, oh, Pennsylvania has so many deer. I'm like, yeah, certain parts of the state, but right, you know, yeah. it's a little different there. Exactly. Um, but so you said the age structure's uh, decent, though it can't yeah, be like, can for be, some older there deer. There can definitely be some, once you get some bucks that get up to the, you know two, three years old, and then they can, you know, then they're they're pretty much good to go by then, you know, and they can get up to that four, five, six. I mean, we've had we've had some deer. I got this random deer on camera a couple of years ago, and the and the 
There you go again. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we're cutting that out. <laughs> but I uh, got some random deer in this in a really big big woods piece that was he showed up one summer and only in June and already in June he was already like probably pushing one seventy. I mean it was it was crazy. And we thought this we we nicknamed this deer LeBron and we <laughs> we thought he was gonna be you know, this northern Minnesota two hundred inch deer that we were all gonna chase and never saw him again. And I don't like I still wonder if he's alive. That was a few years ago. Really? Just out there. Because it's so so vast, you know, and it's, it can be hard to pattern a deer up there. Oh yeah, I don't know if there's really even a way to pattern them specifically. You know, like I said, I I try to figure that all the time. I I think you know every year when I find a next level buck, I come up with a plan to pattern them, yep. and it never usually works that way. Yeah, you know? I've yeah I've been uh I've been burned a, a couple times on chasing some giants. Yeah. So, but but anyways, kind of some takeaways there is Minnesota does have some opportunities to yeah. to hunt from a public land standpoint for out of staters, do yourself yeah. kind of guys to come out and and get to do that. So yeah, and uh, also when so if guys are coming to say Minnesota, is it mostly like state land, uh, federally owned land, timber companies? What What is the kind of out there? All over the place. Yeah. Okay. All from state land to federal stuff to public, like Minnesota power stuff that people can hunt. It's yeah, all over the board. Okay. Yeah. So definitely look into, is there like any resources that you know of where you can find that information? Yeah. I just use the Minnesota DNR website. Okay. Usually. Yeah. And find that. And, and then Onyx is a good spot too. I mean, because you've got all your public land um, labeled. Yeah. So. All right, cool. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and go over North Dakota. So yeah. that's a little bit different here. So yeah. kind of kind of recap the terrain there, like you were talking about. Like, what what, do, what are we looking at? It's very open. Um, like I said, not a lot of trees. You're getting a lot of. It's mainly just crops, crops as far as you can see, and then there's some. You know, where I'm at, there's some river bottom stuff. And so I have a piece of public along a river bottom that's probably my favorite property to hunt that I have anywhere. And it can, it's awesome. But otherwise, it's just a lot of corn and beans and wheat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of cool. Okay. So, yeah, definitely a little bit different from that standpoint. But there is still a good amount of, like, say, public ground and everything. Yeah, a lot there. of public. And there's a lot of marshes, too. I failed to mention that. And these deer... You know, just driving around, you would think like, where are these deer living and stuff? But there's, there's quite a bit of quite a bit of deer and some really good, really good age structure out there. It's North Dakota, and you know, I feel like it's becoming more and more known. But it, I, it's still an underrated state to hunt. But yeah, so yeah, so when um, the the one question I'd have around that, so North Dakota specifically. Uh, when I first found you and found some of your content and stuff, you were chasing after this certain buck yeah. that kind of consumed you by the name of Kobe. I don't know. I don't remember him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> first but, of yeah. all, I got to ask you why you name them all basketball players. I'm a I'm a big basketball guy. I all love right. basketball, and <laughs> I had, I had named a buck the first one, first big one out in North Dakota. Well, I guess not the first, but the first basketball one. I named him Shaq, and then <laughs> this buck Kobe was on the same property as Shaq. So I just, he was running with him at the time. So I was like, all right, I'll just name him Kobe. And then <laughs> I just go with it. I don't know. Keep the theme. Yeah. And that buck was a giant. Yeah. He was, he was kind of big. He, uh, yeah. He consumed me to say the least. Yeah. He's completely drove you nuts. Yeah. He is. I mean, he was such a, and I don't know if we want to dive into it more or not, but that buck was so killable in the fact that he literally lived on the property that I could hunt from about July till the second, you know, till whenever he started having to leave to get chase more does, which usually came around the second week of November. And that's when he ultimately got killed by another hunter. But otherwise he was there all the time and I just couldn't get him in front of me. I had him in front of me one time the year before he really blew up at like 60 yards. And then, uh, that year again at like five steps but it was before legal shooting time in the morning oh. and, uh, and then the next year he blew up and the year he was really big i never even never even had a counter with him but i had 
thousands of trail camera pictures of them in daylight around my stands and just when you couldn't hunt yeah or if i was in a different stand he was in front of the other one or it's just it was painful yeah that's so was he living in that kind of farm country land or was that like a river bottom he was on the river bottom stuff so he was bedding in the river bottom and he would come up to the crops and feed at night and so i had him i had him pegged as good as he he could i had pictures of him in the beans at night in daylight down in the river bottom during the day and just could I don't know. I still question myself because, you know, with a lot of those instances, you know, when you're after a deer and you don't get them, you're like, well, if I would have done this or this, maybe I would have had a chance. And I'm not saying I did everything right, but I feel like I didn't do anything majorly wrong. I just, he just outsmarted me. Yeah. You know? It just didn't exactly work out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and that happens when you chase these, these big deer and, He's mature deer. Yeah, no, that's that's truthful. And that buck, and one of the reasons why it caught my eye too, he looked like a buck that I chased called Hercules. And I mean, literally identical rack, everything looked like that. And Hercules disappeared from me this year, really? and just never showed back up. Never heard of it. You would have heard of someone killing him. Like yeah, he was one of those deer. And I'd talked about it on here before, but just for your reference, I'd wounded him in 2015, and then. He actually shrunk up a little smaller in 2016, lost the point and everything, got heavier. Then in 2017, just freaking blew up again into an absolute giant, but never even had an encounter of him and then never had any daylight photos of him. And after the ru- that year, I'd never, never seen him again, never found his antlers. That's frustrating. He used to shed his antlers too in December. Really? Every year between rifle season and Christmas. And it was like a consistent thing? Yep. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah, he was uh yeah, it was an interesting deer. Huh. Like I don't know what yeah what exactly the reason for it was. It would explain it the year that I wounded him. So what I what happened was I hit him like in the brisket, so I it was just a muscle wound, but that's that's kinda what happened there. But anyways, that's that's why that deer always stuck in my mind that okay. picture. I'm like, it's like Hercules. Yeah. You that's know? funny. And it's funny how again it's uh the white tail thing where we all name deer. Yeah. I'd- and it's, you know, I get, you know, everyone does get grief about it or why you're naming, but it's better that the way I look at it is better than, well, you know, that one eight pointer with the, the big the, eight. Yeah. The big eight or the small eight or the medium eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I haven't named any in a while. I haven't had any that, that were like, I used to name everyone. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd write them down. You know, I had like logs in my, in my, uh, photo albums of yeah. like this is for this deer this is for you know that one and yeah slingshot <laughs> hercules and bulldozer and all these deer you know <laughs> i had i had a whole bunch of names yeah. like they had a look about them and yeah. I, I had to call them that so but anyway so with north dakota how's the how is it as far as like non-resident cost do you know that off the top of your head yeah so now that i'm not you know i was when i was going to school there they had a deal where you could pay um the resident fee because you're a full-time college student there. Mm-hmm. So now I'm paying the non. So my my tags in North Dakota went from fifty bucks to two hundred and eighty bucks. Yeah. So it's two eighty for a non-resident tag. Okay, so, so it's a little bit more. A little expensive. more spendy. Yeah. Is that for one buck tag? Yep. One and that's archery tag. only. Rifle is a whole nother game out there because you have to apply for rifle tags even as a resident. Okay. So I've never. I couldn't tell anyone what a rifle tag or anything would be. So. And you've you've hunted quite a few different states. Would you is that like a place that you recommend from a an out of state whitetail standpoint, or is it one that you really kind of have to want that experience for? Yeah, I would probably say it's awful. No one should go out to North Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's my favorite state to hunt. Yeah, by that- far, it's 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 cool because it's so different than anything else. You know, I mean, I hunt Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska, um, and it's just. It's North Dakota is really just unlike anything else that I've ever hunted, and it's it's a lot of fun because you have you have potential to see a lot of deer in areas, especially. And with North North Dakota, it's like the early season. It opens this coming year. It'll be August thirtieth. It's opening day. Last year's August thirty first. So it opens early, and you can have those really cool early season hunts. And then it goes all the way through till end of the first week of January. And out there, late season can be crazy too. Yeah. So. You can experience a lot of different things, you know. Interesting. Okay. 
That's that's what I was wondering. I didn't know if you were going to give any of that information out. Yeah. You know, that's your secret honey hole. But I figured if I didn't tell you ahead of time that I was going to ask you that, then I could catch. Yeah, you they that, could you know? out of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's cool. And, and and you had hunted a bunch of different areas and stuff in, yeah. uh, in in the past as well. So with specifically Minnesota, North Dakota, is there anything from a takeaway standpoint that that if someone was going to was looking to hunt out of state in either of these two places? anything that they should know like a one big thing um i think if you're gonna think you're gonna work a lot harder in minnesota than you would in north dakota and the fact that just to find deer because north dakota it's a little more cut and dry you know you got ag fields you got some woods or marsh where they're probably bedding Mm -hmm. you know if someone especially they never hunted and say like the hardwoods big time big woods it can be a real, real challenge and a little intimidating. And, I, and it still is for me sometimes. I mean, yeah. So that would be my big, kind of big takeaway. Okay, cool. So going back to your 2018 season, you had a pretty banner year. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, you, yeah, just, uh, just give kind of a quick recap of going through from the beginning to end how your, how your season went there. Yeah, so I started out in North Dakota. I went out there for the first five days of season and actually wasn't expecting a ton. This summer, you know, I run cameras pretty heavily out there. And over the summer, it was definitely my worst year as far as just number of bucks and mature bucks. And, you know, maybe it's my own fault, but I had, you know, one of my really good properties, people started stealing stuff and messing with my crap. And I've never had to deal with that out there. And um, so that was kind of happening. And then um, went out there early season and the first four days, the hunting was not the best, and I'd gotten really sick on that trip. And within the last day, I I knew of one buck that was fairly consistent um, coming by one of my stands, and the it was a really terrible setup because I had standing corn on one side, standing beans. <clears throat> there it goes again. Uh, <laughs> standing beans on the other side, and then in front of my stand, I had two apple trees and two plum trees. So it was you know, just awful setup. And <laughs> And, uh, no, it was pretty sweet, but, um, this buck was coming through from the standing corn into the, into, he was coming through the beans. I think the beans was like the appetizer for him. Yeah. And he was coming into the plum trees. And, uh, so I was getting a lot of pictures of him and I decided if he was still and still in velvet, I was going to shoot him on my last day. And he, uh, he read the script perfectly. He came right in under me and he was still in full velvet and I was able to shoot him. Yeah, no, that was, that was an awesome buck and pretty decent way to start off your season yeah i was pretty with that terrible setup i know that terrible terrible setup <laughs> if you ever find anything like that don't hunt it yeah. um, <laughs> no but the, the trails coming through that because where the where the apple trees and the plum trees were in this little like grass strip and so the literally the trails coming from the standing corn through there into the beans was just un- it was really? like cow pass coming through there and i mean I had hunted that spot in the years before, like that same stand, but had never had that setup. I mean, I don't know if the apple trees and the plum trees just weren't, you know, growing anything or or what the deal was. Yeah. Um, and just way the way the crop rotations fell into place, it was it was pretty nice. Um, and then from there, I was hunting in Minnesota um, around my house, and in that in that city hunt that I was talking about, you have to shoot a doe before you can shoot a buck. So it's like an earn a buck hunt. Yeah. And so I was really stressing out because I had these two, well, I had these three bucks on the small private property I have permission on that were fairly, I wouldn't say consistent in daylight, but they were moving around shooting hours enough where I knew if a cold front came through, I'd probably have a chance at one of them. And so I was really stressing out trying to shoot a doe. <laughs> and uh, I missed a doe opening day, which was a bummer. And then... uh of course, the second week of season, the biggest buck that I was after had showed up in daylight two days in a row on my camera, and I couldn't go. I could. I literally wasn't couldn't hunt him because I didn't have my doe yet. Um, and so oh. then, first week of October, I shot my doe, and then, uh, which was just like kind of a, you know, those earn a buck hunts, especially when you're after like a mature deer. Getting that doe is kind of like a weight off your shoulders. So I got the doe, and then the next week. Um, the next time I hunted, actually, a nice cold front had come through, and I went into that small private spot, and then was able to shoot one of those bucks that I had been getting on camera all summer. And he he read the script. Perf. I mean, I feel like this year was so lucky because how many times can you say they read the script perfectly? But yeah, literally both the bucks that this year I shot did, and he came right in on the trail that I 
I kind of figured they would be coming through and came in and gave me a twenty yard shot and oh man yeah nice and that was that was the big the real yeah, big one yeah that was the yeah the big one this year <laughs> <laughs> yeah that deer is that deer was pretty amazing pretty amazing so that was like uh that was like kind of like a suburban type hunt yep okay yeah gotcha yep so that was that was I mean I was well from that stand I went back and hunted it later in the year to try to shoot another doe when all the leaves had fallen and from the stand i have a clear view of my truck where I'm parked. I got a clear view of the house that I'm hunting behind. But when I shot them, all the leaves were up, so you, you couldn't see that far. But I'm just in a small pocket of woods. Hey, it's it got to go where the deer are, right? Yeah, and they're coming through there pretty heavily. So yeah. So all right. So that now you had two bucks down, and what's yeah. it, what was the date that you did that on? October 11th. Wow. Yeah. Early so, on too. Yeah, that was. I uh, had my success early this year. Yeah, and then uh, where'd you go from there now that you had your buck tags filled? Yeah, so from there, I didn't really hunt the rest of the month of October because just with work and I didn't have any vacation time, I couldn't go anywhere. So I uh, I used all my vacation to go to Nebraska for a week, the uh, first week of November. And uh, my cousin lives down there, and he's got permission on some some small properties, nothing crazy. So I went and spent a week down there, and had a couple of close calls. I had one buck at full draw. Um, he was coming through, just cruising, and you know, just nose to the ground. And he had midday. We had actually gotten down and checked cameras, and I had sat on the ground and checked the camera. He came through and got to where I was sitting on the ground, and he literally, his, his head just kind of popped up, and it was just looking right at us, and just wheeled and was out of there. And I needed him to take probably one or two more steps. I was at full draw already. Oh, and uh. That was really my, my closest call while I was there. So Gotcha. I wasn't able to fill that tag. But still it was pretty yeah. pretty awesome season and yeah. from that standpoint. Yeah, it's been fun. Was it kind of bittersweet filling those other tags early in the year like that? You know, it, it was. And you know when you talk to someone about it and they're like, Oh yeah, way to complain but you know, I mean, I'm not complaining by any means. <laughs> and so, you know, just I actually hunted the least amount of days this year that I've ever hunted in a bow season since I started bow hunting. And it's just weird that, you know, because you tag out so early in not only just North Dakota, I mean, and then in Minnesota. And then, you know, I ended up getting a Wisconsin tag later in the year. And I, I mean, I, my, I work in Wisconsin. I, I live only 15 minutes from it. And so that's what I've, that's what I'm going to do next year is get a Wisconsin tag right off the bat. That way this year I would have started hunting that and, try to come up you know i'm starting there from scratch and trying to get yeah permission on places and find some public so but yeah cool with um so all right so 2018 season's over or 2019 here do you have any specific hunts you're looking at here in 2019 you know nothing really different i'm gonna do the north dakota minnesota wisconsin and then i don't i'm not positive yet if i'm gonna do nebraska i might try to do a different state and I'm thinking about trying to do maybe a different state early this year so I can hunt North Dakota during the rut. Okay. Because North my that river bottom spot during the rut can be just lights out. And uh I kinda miss not being in the in that timber this year during November. So as far as uh, that North Dakota spot during the rut, if you can't hunt it, no big deal. Give me the coordinates. I'll head out there. Okay. I'll watch it for you. Okay, sweet. Make sure no one else is hunting it, making sure yep. none of the big deer get by. Those type of things. Yeah. So. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, I'll do whatever you need for you, buddy. I'm sure we can set that up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, cool. That sounds like it's a pretty exciting, you know, year coming up. Yeah. And so fr- from like, what is it, what is it about like these going to different states? Is it just, you like hunting whitetails and that gives you more opportunities or is it, do you like seeing different country, different things? Like what, what makes you tick from that standpoint? I would say first and foremost, just more opportunity. I mean, I just... Yeah, I love hunting whitetails and want to do it as much as I can and in many places I can. But then additionally, you know, being able to hunt these different terrains and see, you know, you learn so much. You know, when you just hunt one place all the time, you kind of are in this little vortex of what you know and what you experience. Being able to get out and, you know, it might be completely different from North Dakota to, we'll say, Nebraska. But you might learn something that you could take with you to Nebraska and apply it in a different way and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Cool. And I, I know that's the way for me, too, is like, I mean, the opportunities, you know, big. And then, but when you get to 
go to new places, you learn things. Each area is so different. Right. And when, when you get to learn these things, you can apply them. Maybe one thing you learned in Nebraska it might be an off-the-wall tactic in North Dakota, but it's something to keep in the back of your mind, yeah. and you might be able to use it. And just things like that just broaden your whole whitetail horizon. And yeah. Then, and then from, like, just a woodsmanship side of things, you just learn so much from hunting yeah, new areas. Totally agree. Yeah. So, all right, what about with whitetail DNA? Anything new uh, you have planned for this year there? You know, nothing crazy. I know I'm going to do a lot more collaboration stuff this year, so I'll be hunting with some other guys and yeah. trying to, you know, I feel like that's a cool thing that people like to see. Um, yeah. And you can see how other people are working and how they're hunting and everything like that. But other than that, it's just, you know, a lot more video content is going to be coming. You know, I tried to really up that in 2018. I want to take it up another notch in 2019 because, you know, I think people really like video. Not that they don't like to read, but, you know, I started out trying to do a, a blog post a day. And when you're doing that, you don't really have any time for videos. So I'm really trying to create a lot more, a little more educational stuff too, you know, trying yeah. to show the whys and the, the hows and not just the here's what I'm doing type of thing. Yeah. Okay, but. cool. No, and the video stuff's awesome. I mean, like like you said, when you're doing it and and people learn a lot from it because they can watch it on their lunch yeah. break. They can watch it while they're waiting for something, you know? Right. And I learned that a lot too. You know, I, I love writing and I yeah. think you can gain a lot from it. Um, but not as many people yeah. like to sit and read right. as they do with their eyes, you know, yeah. to see. So, yeah. Cool. So where can we find some uh, more information on whitetail DNA and everything else that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, everything's at whitetaildna.com. So you go there, and then you can head over. From there, there's links to the YouTube, or you can just go into YouTube, search Whitetail DNA, and you'll find everything there. But that's pretty much where you can find everything every once in a while. If you ever subscribe to North American Whitetail or QDMA, I do a lot of writing for, for those magazines and publications. So awesome. I got quite a bit on the dock for this year, more than I've ever done. So that'll be that'll be cool. Busy, busy. Not yeah. going to have much sleep. Yeah, I never do. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, any any last things you want to say here? You know, not, not much other than, you know, everyone, thanks for tuning in and everyone that goes and checks me out. I really appreciate that because at the end of the day, you know, our people that follow us and, you know, taking our content are what allows us to do what we do. So, yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I agree. And just the last thing I want to say is everyone, uh, if you're looking for like a destination hunt, skip Pennsylvania, head to North Dakota, Minnesota, join Alex. He loves company. No, <laughs> I've actually heard, you know, Pennsylvania's, you know, right up there with Iowa. So <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. Pennsylvania is basically mini Iowa. Yeah. So yeah, from, from an opportunity standpoint. Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll be getting hate mail and people go, yeah. I haven't seen a deer in six days. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh all right alex well hey i appreciate you sitting down here with me chatting and had a good time here at ata so. yeah i appreciate you having me on yeah looking forward to doing it again sometime soon here buddy yeah for sure thanks man thanks so much for listening to this episode of east meets west hunt with your host Bo martonic for more great content and to stay up to date visit eastmeetswesthunt.com facebook at east meets west outdoors and instagram at east meets west hunt if you enjoyed today's episode please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time